Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. And Rex, we have not done this in about a week and a half. Had a little debrief after the second major of the year, PJ Championship, of course, won by Brooks Kepka. You are in some sort of jail cell, uh, it appears, at Nearfield Village. Uh, I am getting uh, slowly but surely dehydrated in the Arizona heat here at the NCAA championship. Before we get to your two birdies at Scioto, which I know you wanted to spend, uh, I think uh, eight minutes you have scheduled in our rundown. You do have a little bit of news that is up on golfchannel.com. This is not as, although this is a visual medium, we're not quite savvy enough to uh, put up a full screen graphic. Can you explain to the viewers and listeners uh, exactly what is going down PJ tour wise? So it seems to me the tour schedule is going to be coming out sooner rather than later. If you sort of look at the way it normally comes out, we start getting towards the back end of the year and the tour likes to sort of get something out there. And I think that's what this is. Now, to be clear, this is something that they're showing to players and something that they're showing to managers. And at the very bottom, it's a sample schedule. So let's let's point that out. But what it shows me is that all of those things we've talked about, how difficult it is to connect the dots going into next year where you have sort of that flow that they've talked about it. They don't want to leave events, non-designated events, on an island like they did this year, Honda Classic. It's probably the best example. So what they want is two, maybe three designated events, followed by two, maybe three non-designated events. A cadence. If you, a cadence. And if you look at what they have sent out, this sort of skeleton, as you pointed out, it starts since returning to the champions. We knew that was going to start the season. We knew that was a designated event followed by three non-designated events. We can sort of fill in those dots pretty easily. It's going to be the Sony Open. It's going to be the American Express. And it's probably going to be uh, either Torrey Pines or Waste Management, depending on how that plays out. And then you have two designated events. That would be February 1 through 4 would be the first one, followed by Genesis the next week. We knew that was going to be. So the February 1 through 4 spot. Pebble Beach, exactly. And then you kind of get into the flow. You have three weeks after that of non-designated, what they call full field events. Arnold Palmer, Bay Hill, two designated. And then you have three more weeks of non-designated. So you have those swings that they want leading up to the Masters and then Heritage. So it, it kind of gives you an idea of what they're sort of trying to piece together. It's clear that these are still a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of pieces in the air. Probably the one thing that stood out to me that, that is written here. And it's going to be interesting because it came, you know, because it's this week. The Memorial Tournament is actually scheduled for June. So it would be six through nine. Six, seven, yeah, six through nine, which is a week later than what it normally is played. Keep in mind, Jack Nicholas has wanted to play his tournament the week after Memorial Day since the mid 90s. This is his spot. It's the it's Memorial. Literally called the Memorial. <laughs> it's literally called the Memorial. And so not only are you doing that to this particular event, but it's scheduled right now to be the week before the US Open, which is probably another thing that Jack's not too happy about. And then following the US Open would be a third consecutive designated event travelers championship would be the likely fit right there so not only are you changing the dates not only are you making jack's field smaller which jack and tiger woods have made clear they don't want that but you're also putting it you're shoehorning it in the week before probably what would be i would argue the most grueling stretch of the year so not only in the middle of the season you're in the dog days you're getting into the hot days but you're giving them three consecutive designated events it is not a good scenario for this event so there's a, a couple things to unpack here. First of all, Tiger Woods's event, the Genesis Invitational, going up against Super Bowl Sunday uh, is not ideal. Traditionally, that has been Phoenix. We've talked about it on this podcast. I said if you're, if you're Phoenix and you've got the biggest party on the PJ Tour, you should be trying to get away 
from the Super Bowl as opposed to leaning into it, which you were adamant was the best thing to do. I'm not sure Tiger Woods is going to be happy about this either. The Riviera event is is not the party, obviously, that, that Phoenix is, although it's directly going to lead into the Super Bowl, 6 p.m. finish uh, on the East Coast for Genesis, and then obviously mm-hmm. a 6.30 kickoff for the Super Bowl. You could kind of call it a, a pregame show of sorts, uh, but I'm not sure he's going to be too thrilled uh, with the divided attention there. I do see your point about the memorial, and if history is any indication, the way that Jack Nicholas has his fingers all over the setup for this golf tournament is it's arguably the hardest regular season event on the PGA Tour. And so you're basically having the best players by the time they get to the end of the final round at Pinehurst for the 2024 U.S. Open. They're going to be absolutely dragging. And then you put a designated event on the back end. Now it's a bit of a shootout, right? The Travelers Championship is not necessarily going to be the most difficult and strenuous test. Uh, but that is a, a, a very challenging and demanding and tiring stretch, uh, as you mentioned, during the dog days of summer. I'm very curious about this, Rex, because everything that we've been told by tour officials is that this is the reimagined PJ Tour schedule. Uh, it's going to look drastically different from what we're accustomed to. Not really. The skeleton that you have sent out here, yes, it's got this cadence of designated events, non-designated events, and it might be a little bit more formal uh, than it has been in the past. But, like, we've always had this sort of typical cadence, have we not, when it comes to PGA Tour schedule? This is not as dramatic of a reshaping as I think that I was anticipating. Uh, Memorial probably is is pretty shocking, only because, I mean, this is Jack's event. But it's just a week. It's not like they're playing it in February. Uh, it's a week. I will say this goes back to a story I wrote earlier this year. You pointed out, so it goes Memorial U.S. Open, water. and I remember water. Yeah, hydrate, man. You you look like you're you're fading away fast. Um, <laughs> this goes to a story I did earlier this year when the concept came up last Delaware about I compared that meeting that happened between all the top players and a similar meeting back in the '90s when Greg Norman was sort of recommending trying to get his world tour off the ground. And I remember getting anecdotes and stories from people who were in that meeting saying that Arnold Palmer was dead set against it. He was dead set against it. He pretty much shut it down. He didn't want to have anything to do with anything that wasn't the PGA tour. From what I was told, Jack Nicholas was in that meeting and his only objection was, I don't like to play the week before majors. That was it. That was his only objection that nope doesn't fit my schedule. So not only are you sort of making Jack do something he doesn't want to do, smaller field, no cut. Not only are you moving his tournament to a date that he doesn't want, that he has not wanted for the last, let's say, three damn decades. You're also making him play the week before major, which for him is probably not that big a deal because he's not playing in the U.S. Open. But in his mind, <laughs> to best prepare for the majors. So now you're shoving all of these things essentially down his throat. I didn't even think about the Genesis and the Super Bowl. That's a really good point. I don't know that's going to particularly impact the field. It would certainly impact how many people tune in to watch that yeah. event. But if it is sort of the leading coverage, maybe you would get that bump. I don't know. But I would say you're right. Maybe the reason that you're not seeing the dramatic changes is because there's some holes. Like, you're right. This is when we didn't do a very good job. If we were better at this, we would actually have some sort of graphic and we could throw this. I don't know how. This is StreamYard. I'm still, I'm still learning. It's a, I miracle I can push, it's a miracle I can push record in the top right corner. Uh, full disclosure, it's a screenshot that someone sent me of this and I sent it to you. So I was kind of hoping that maybe you could figure something out, but clearly you can't. So uh, I will say that maybe the one that stands out to me, and, and I'm just kind of speculating here. I talked about the designated event the week before the PGA Championship, which would be May 9 through 12. Right now, Colonial? that 
Uh, no, right now that's that's Wells Fargo. That's their date is the way it was told to me. That's the date we have right now. So you can read between the lines and say, well, as it stands now, Wells Fargo, which was a designated event this year, would be in that slot. I don't know if that's a guarantee because, number one, I don't know that's if Wells a, Fargo. That's a difficult golf course, too. Quail Hollow leading into a major, Muirfield Village leading into a major. Two major championships are going to have designated events afterward. Well, they're just they're, gonna, they're beating these guys up on and around the majors. Uh, they are. And so now all of a sudden, I don't know if, if that's a done deal, though. So as you, I think you brought up a really good one. So would could Colonial, and I've been told that Charles Schwab, the sponsor of Colonial, would love to be a designated event. Would they slide in there, and then all of a sudden now you're rearranging? Uh, there's a couple that I'm just not 100% sure of. After the Open Championship, you know, it's hard to figure out in my mind, where does the Canadian Open fit into this? Because it's clear they wanted to be a designated event, and it's clear that they probably are not going to be a designated event. So I think once you get all of the other pieces in place and you can see it, it would probably look more dramatic to you. I'm a little bit slow. Uh, so forgive me here. What is hydration? Yeah. What is the point of having, if you're from a tour perspective, what is the point in having a designated event after a major championship? Is it to continue the momentum of a major championship? You have X number of eyeballs, right? 10 million viewers for a PGA championship. You want to, maintain those by then having a designated event the week afterward to me if i'm a tour player if i'm one of the best players in the world if i'm a scotty Scheffler, if i'm a john rom if i'm a brooks kepka well he's not a good example because he's on live if you're a roy mcelroy right and you're expending all of this energy to peak for that one week a year right and if you're in contention we've, we've heard ad nauseum how draining that is uh, not just physically but mentally then putting a designated event on the back end 3.5 million dollars uh, obviously the boatload of FedEx Cup points, all that comes with it. I don't quite I, – I don't think that's the answer. Like I don't think putting a designated event on the back end of a major championship is going to produce the high-quality golf that they really want from a designated. I think it's, I think it's an easy potential skip for players. John Rahm obviously fulfilled his obligation, right? He said he was going to play the RBC Heritage uh, and full credit for him for finishing inside the top 15. But I could see a lot of other players in that scenario – bowing out and saying, look, too tired. I just got $3 million for winning a major championship. I'm set for the rest of the year. Uh, I'm going to take this week off. Uh, I would say twofold. And again, now I'm kind of, you're backing me in a corner trying to make the tours argument. And I don't know how comfortable no, I am I, here. I think it, I'm just, I'm just curious from their perspective, what that would, what that rationale would even be other than maintaining viewership momentum. Uh, well, I'll go to two reasons that immediately come to mind. One, it goes back to what you talked about, the cadence, the flow that we're trying to get. They don't want the Honda Classic of this year where you have one non-designated event sandwiched between two designated events. And that, that event's just going to get crushed. I mean, they're just not going to get a field. So that was going to require a lot of creative thinking. It was going to require a lot of changes. It was going to require some tinkering that probably and clearly is not that easy. The other half of this is there's only a finite number of events that you can plop the designated event on. And it's just not a matter of just willy nilly pointing. It's a matter of going to the sponsor and asking them, okay, are you all right? Putting up an additional, I mean, in the case of Wells Fargo, I think their, their total commitment goes from 12 million to somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 million a year. So it's an extra $10 million a year. You're essentially doubling what you have to pay every year. Not every sponsor is going to want to do that. It's clear. Some do. Like RBC clearly has an interest. Travelers clearly has an interest. If you look at AT&T, Pebble Beach is going to have that interest. But I think those two things probably factor in just as much as what you're trying to say, continuing some sort of momentum.
What's that noise? Probably birds. Could be rattlesnakes. Uh, could be any any number of things. I, I, I must say, I'm. You having a good time at Greyhawk? I, honestly, I don't know how people live here. I really don't. I'm sure in the winter it's wonderful. You have to drink so much water just to stay upright. Uh, this I'm going to caution you now. As someone who caught a lot of heat last week from the Rochester crowds, hey, much love to Rochester. I, I'm, I'm out. I'm out of the game. Please don't DM me anymore. Like, take it easy, man. You don't want to make people in Scottsdale angry. I just, I on, honestly, I don't know how physiologically you could do it. I had to have drank 10 bottles of water, at least three Gatorades, uh, and I still woke up with a pounding headache uh, and like that I was, I was physically drained. <laughs> and so I'm recording this on Tuesday of NCAA championship week. That's the day they have quarterfinals and semifinals in the same day. It's a hundred degree heat. Uh, obviously all the pressure trying to make the uh, final match of the NCAA championship. I don't know how these guys do it. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to the heat and humidity of Ponte Vedra as quick as possible. Real quick uh, on this topic, Rex, are you surprised that Virginia has the early lead uh, on Florida? Why or why not? Uh, not surprised by that. I was surprised that Vanderbilt didn't advance. That's the one I wanted to, to pepper you with. I'll give you your, your 90 seconds of go for the NCAAs, and then we're done with this. Go. Uh, I believe uh, we're having the NCAA fact checkers look at this right now. Uh, first time ever that the number one team in the country did not advance to match play. Uh, it feels like the Masters tournament was a big turning point for Gordon, Gordon Sargent uh, and – uh, his entire Vanderbilt team just weren't quite the same. It's one of those times where you can see a team like plateauing or even on the downside while you have Illinois, uh, the Floridas, North Carolinas uh, in an upward trajectory. I think that uh, is what played out here. Gordon Sargent, obviously a fantastic player. And, and Ludwig Aberg. Rex, Ludwig. I've talked about him on the podcast about a month or so ago makes his professional debut next week at the RBC Canadian Open. Big-time player. Honestly, this is not exaggeration. It BDP. would not surprise me if he plays his way onto the European Ryder Cup team. He's already on the radar of Luke Donald. He has been informed that he has on the radar of Luke Donald. Do not be surprised if he goes gangbusters, does what John Rahm did when he first came out on the PGA Tour a handful of years ago. And, and has similar success. He's now he's got his tour card for the next year and a half, uh, which is very, very exciting. Sausage finger in the air. Go ahead. And time, 90 seconds. Very good. You finished Perfect. that off. We, we, that is the NCAA portion of the podcast. We won't be revisiting that. Why don't you got? Nailed it. Uh, Jack Nicholas set to meet with the media Tuesday <laughs> at Mirfield Village as he does. Obviously, he could potentially ask, be asked about his date change for the fall in 2024. Another big well, thing, though, Rex, is is this no-cut aspect, for what's, which is coming to designated events in 2024, somewhere between 70 and 80-man 80, 80 fields, uh, no cuts. From a PGA Tour perspective, from a business perspective, it makes all the sense in the world. In fact, it could be even coming a push from the broadcast partners. Like, look, we want to make sure the Roys, the Roms, and the Scotties, and the Spies, and the JTs of the world – are there on Saturday. It doesn't matter if they're T42. It is a benefit for us to have them there all four days. Totally get it from a business perspective. How about from a fan perspective? Will something be lost? Is this an own goal by the PJ Tour by eliminating the 36-hole cuts in what are going to be their biggest events? I think we'll have limited fields. There will be no cuts in the designated events next year. The commissioner earlier this month when we spoke to him at the Wells Fargo Championship made it clear that, okay, whatever it is that Tiger Woods is saying and what Jack Nicklaus is going to say, I, I know what they want. I hear them. But this isn't what probably the TV partners want. It's certainly not what the corporate partners want. And so they're going to forge ahead. 
So you're looking at 2024 sort of being the litmus test of this. But I will say, and probably John Rahm would be the voice on this when he just was in the media center and asked about it. And he did a very good John Rahm explanation of, look, my thinking on this has come around. He goes, at first I was fine with it, had no problem whatsoever. He has since come around to the idea that, no, if I'm playing well, I probably don't want to be there anyway. I don't want to play for 58th place. No one wants to watch me shoot 73. I'm going to be grumpy. No one's going to want to interview me. So it goes to the idea. Brent Snedeker said the exact same thing this morning on the range when I talked to him. So I think you're going to continue to get more and more pushback from not just the Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods of the world. And let's face it, that pushback goes a long way. But also from sort of the stars of today. I think Rory is now the only one who has sort of held the line that they need, there need to be cuts. John brought up, I think, what you and I have said numerous times on this podcast, the Masters seems to have a good formula. You can have an 80-man field and then cut 20 guys, and you still have a cut, and you still have to perform. You still have to do something on Thursday and Friday to make it to the weekend. That seems like a good resolution to this. I feel passionately about this because really? the John Roms of the world, Rory McIlroy's of the world, they understand – what golf fans understand in that the 36 hole cut brings urgency. It brings finality. uh, It brings a a dramatic element to Friday's proceedings. Like no one wants to see these guys in 50th place. The player doesn't want to be there. He'd rather be home potentially working on his game instead of going through the motions, trying to find something. Uh, The coverage window in all likelihood isn't even going to start for those guys unless it's a live stream on the ESPNU uh, or ESPN plus like digital format. Like it's, 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 and it's, it's almost like a non-issue because if you look at the top 10 players in the world, they're going to miss, what, maybe two or three cuts during the year. It's not like, it, it's not like they're missing six to eight cuts. And, oh, boy, we got, we got to keep these guys around because they're so boomer bust. Like, Scotty Shuffler hasn't finished outside the top 12 since October. Like, this is a non-starter for the number one player in the world. Is it a, is it a, is it a way to keep Tiger Woods around for all four days? Probably. But the only designated event that he's going to play if he does play it at all is his own justice invitational and so it's kind of it's kind of a non-issue it's kind of a a a non-starter that's why i i don't i don't see why there can't be some sort of middle ground here where kind of these player hosted invitationals bay hill genesis memorial why can't those have cuts but then the travelers uh rbc heritage the at&t pebble beach they cannot have cuts. Like, why does it have to be one or the other? All or nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think I think that's a way to distinguish even the the designated events uh, from each other. Well, and, and to your point, I, the world number one is not sitting around worrying about making the cut. So that that's sort of a non-starter. It's not as though Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm and the rest of the top players are trying to create a system that benefits them. And it goes to, and, and again, John Rahm brought this up, and, and I think this is always the good starting point when we're having this conversation. We can sit here and break down why, you know, what is the greatest thing Tiger Woods has done in his career? That cut streak ranks really, really high among the guys that matter, which are out on the range. And they're the ones that actually look and go, man, 15 majors is good, but that 140-something cuts made in a row, that's really good. Like, that is sustained consistency that you can't even imagine. Like most when he's, guys, when he's hurting, when he's sick, when his when his swings are off, when he when he, when he can't make point. a putt, after, it's amazing. After winning a major championship to, to bounce back and come back the very next week and two weeks later and be like, you know what? Nope, I'm still going to play hard, even though this is this isn't a major championship. I'm still going to make the cut. I'm still going to grind it out. I think there's something to be said for that as well. Like I said, 2024 
it's kind of that ship has sailed. It seems like there will be cut. There will be limited field fields and all the designated. I'm fine, with the, I'm fine with the limited fields. I would just like to see some cut. cuts maintained. It's a, it's yeah. a way like every every designated event is going to feel the exact same if they're all seventy eight player fields. Like this is an easy way to distinguish some of them from each other. Otherwise, what's distinguishing the travelers from Riviera? You know, other than other than locale. The lighting in here makes this look like a proof of life video. Yeah, I feel like it's hold, holding up a sign. You hold up a newspaper, May thirtieth, twenty twenty three. Blink, blink twice if you're being held against your will. It's a, it's a bit of a, a dungeon in here, and now I'm going to alienate the fine folks of Columbus and Dublin, Ohio. So I apologize. And the and the ceiling's leaking. So, but it maybe, is soundproof. Uh, it is soundproof. I'm not messing with our friends up top. Uh, once friend, and uh, specifically Doug Ferguson, he he would not tolerate this at all. Uh, he never does. Uh, but that is why. We love Fergie. Rex, what else is top of mind? I, I didn't think you wanted to get deep into Emiliano Grillo's uh, victory at Colonial, as exciting as it was against Adam Shank. Pride of Nocatee. Uh, he's getting closer and closer to his PGA Tour victory. We will toast. We will toast the king of Nocatee in due time. Pride of Nocatee. Uh, no, I, I thought it was interesting. I guess talking with – I talked with some players on the flight up here, actually, on Monday, and then some swing coaches. They weren't happy with the greens. And the reason why – I mean, I'm sure you watched it on Sunday – they're tearing up the greens the day afterwards. They're probably already tore up for all I know. I think they were pulling the bulldozers in as they were finishing up on Sunday. And I, I guess, okay, so you're putting the superintendent in the awkward position of telling him, we don't care if you kill him. And then, of course, he's going to be like, all right, I'm just going to run these things as, as ragged as I possibly can. And you ended up with probably not the best putting surfaces. And so the angry me yesterday on the flight up here was like, why would you do that to Colonial? Like, what are they doing? I don't understand why. Like, I love Colonial, by and large. Most guys on tour will tell you, oh, it's one of our favorite stops. So why are you tinkering with it? And then, which you alluded to earlier, I teed it up at Scioto yesterday afternoon, which has always been on my list of top 10, whatever, golf courses anywhere in the world. It has I have not played here since the redesign. And up until two weeks ago, I don't know that I'd ever heard uh, William Green. I don't Andrew. know that I'd ever... Andrew, I'm I don't, sorry, I don't, Andrew. I don't, I don't know who William is either, but I know Andrew. I definitely, Green. definitely hadn't heard from. That's fine. Uh, I hadn't. <laughs> William Green is in, but Andrew Green in two weeks has become sort of the star in my mind because what he did at Scioto certainly we'll go back to what he did at Oak Hill. I don't think there was a, a bad word spoken. He made a really, really good course better, and that's saying something. What'd you shoot? Uh, I actually uh, shot 88, which was pretty good considering how poorly wow. I hit it on the front. Um, yeah, which was uh, a, a good testament to how poorly I hit how it on the front. How do you not front. start the podcast with this? Yeah, I had two birdies on the back nine, including the 17th hole, which is, uh, according to everyone who played before me and after me, just an impossible hole, and it's a little tiny par three, and the, the green's too small, <laughs> and it's too undulating. And my point was, I, I mean, I birded it. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you guys find wrong with it, but I seem to. I'm okay with it, whatever. I mean, that's just me. Uh, East Lake Tour Championship venue is supposed to be also getting uh, redone, uh, reportedly by Andrew Green. Uh, that's a golf course that is in dire need of a facelift. About William so, Green? Is William Green doing it? <laughs> his 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 alter ego. I do not believe is going to have his have his hands in the alteration. Uh, but we we will have to check on that. Uh, what did you make, Rex, of the Michael Block situation? Michael Block, everyone fell in love with him. 
mid 40s club pro guy hammed it up for the crowd finished t15 at the pga championship second best finish ever by a club pro made the hole in one in the final round with roy McIlroy. absolutely love it he didn't get just one sponsor exemption rex uh, by virtue of his performance there got it at colonial he's also getting it next week at the rbc canadian open but finished last the tour event at colonial what do you think? Is all the blowback now on Michael Block fair or foul? I mean, no. I think it was a great story. You and I talked about it late, late, late Sunday night as we were both flying home or trying to recover from Oak Hill. Uh, I will say that is emotional, as I think I've gotten listening to a post-round interview on Sunday at Oak Hill. Not only because of – and look, I'll give Amanda Ritter from CBS Sports all the credit in the world. She did just a, a brilliant job of letting the story tell itself and letting the emotions come out. And I have a heart of stone. Trust me, my, my kids will tell you I didn't cry at my son's graduation on Monday, but I cried Sunday night when I listened to that interview because it was so emotional. God, that being said, that being <laughs> me, you, I think the word is uh, emotional, fella. Is that, is that the word I'm, that you get? At least I'm doing the interview. At least I'm immersed in the story. You're just listening. Uh, it might have something to do. I spent about 12 hours in the airport that Sunday. I was a little wore out. There might've been a couple IPAs, a couple, so. couple, couple w, double IPAs. You yeah. just, you just, you start getting your feelings. Yeah, that's right. So digging in. Um, I don't know that I was surprised what happened last week so much. So, cause I mean, he'd never been in that position before. Obviously there was a lot of emotion. It was funny. He actually signed with a management firm and I spoke with someone from that management firm. And the idea is they don't expect him to, to play his way onto the PGA tour at 47 years old. Like that's not the option here. The option is he's got a really cool story to tell and they're sort of setting him up for success down the road. Maybe, you know, in three years when he's champions tour, you know, eligible PGA tour champions eligible. I think that would be an opportunity for him. But right now in the short term, they're, they're, they're going to make the most of the celebrity. And I don't have a problem with that. We talked about this on golf today on Monday with golf digest, Joel Beal. I don't blame Michael Block whatsoever. Did he ham it up? Was he a little bit performative in some of his antics, like the the aw shucks thing? Like, did it go a little bit too far? Maybe. But, like, this is his 15 minutes of fame. He has every right. And if we were in those positions, his exact same position, we'd be doing the exact same thing. If this is a short-term window to maximize your opportunity for profitability, why would you not why would you not live it up? This is the best week of his life. Why would you not uh, kind of milk it for everything? I think this is more a symptom of the modern media environment where there's this race for likes and engagement and views and clicks where we take like one great story and just beat it into the ground to the point where it becomes oversaturated and we're, we're kind of like over, over-dramatizing one man's story and that's when the backlash comes then the fans get tired of hearing him then we get why are you guys paying attention so much to michael block who had one week when you are kind of dismissing brooks kepka or scotty scheffler whoever else is headlining the field uh at, at clodo that's where the blowback comes from i don't think it's michael block at all like he has a great story to tell so. and he did a great job doing it i think it's more a product of the media environment and i think the tour and sponsors don't quite understand that these stories have a very short shelf life i was totally fine actually with the colonial invite like all right it's the week after major let's see if the fairy tale can continue right like can you imagine if you finish 10th and it was a good course for him like to be honest that was a really good course the issue i have is canada 
is yeah for sure and like it, it was probably unrealistic to think that he was going to play well but canada extending the fairy tale for now would be almost a month later that's that's too much that's not recognizing that these stories tend to tend to come and go i don't know if i had that much of a problem actually i i People reached out to me, players and some managers, about Cole Hammer being in the field last week. And it, it sort of gets into the weeds, but that was his eighth start, essentially his eighth sponsor exemption. As a non-member, he's only allowed seven. And so I kind of had to dig up that that exemption into Colonial doesn't count because it goes back to some performances in college and some of the things he did. I think there was more pushback from people, at least inside the game, for that than there was for Michael Block. I think everyone can identify. If you're Colonial, if you're Michael Todd, who's the tournament director there, I got. Like, his motivation is simple. Like, that's an un- unrestricted gonna, sponsor exemption. That's a perfect ex- example of what you should do. going to get people to come space. out and cheer. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to rapidly change the subject here, and I didn't even want to do this, but you mentioned how performative it might be. Uh, and this is very, very dangerous. So I'm going to walk a, a fine line here because I don't want to get into bits and pieces of this story. But I will say that, and I wrote it, I did this in my Friday column, that, uh, and it was from Hank Haney, who I'm sure is not going to like this at all. But he had referenced the corrupt golf media. And this was in reference to a tweet about Brooks and Bryson being booed at the PGA Championship on a tee. And Hank's response was, "I this is the byproduct of the corrupt golf media. And this is what they they wrought, essentially, is what he was saying. Sounds awfully, sounds awfully Trumpian. Uh, I don't even know if I would take it that far because my response was only to lay out the facts. Like at no point in this has the corrupt golf media, well, golf media corrupt or otherwise, had any say in this. This was started by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia and the players joined and they were suspended. And now there's a lawsuit. And that's dumbing it down. But nowhere in there does the golf media have any say in this. And what this sort of what he did, in my opinion, was conflate the issue. And so I go to the idea that. My guess is, and I've never asked Brandel Chambly this, but he does not identify himself as a journalist. And I don't identify myself as an analyst, which is what he does. And the, the comparison that I came up with was I love Rex Ryan. I think he's a great football analyst. I would never, and only because he's the, he's probably the first, he's the best Rex on TV. Um, it, yeah, the best, right ahead of Rex Chapman. You're, you're definitely in the top two. No, no, I was seven, according to Jim Rome, in a, in a poll a few years ago, actually. And he, hmm. I'd be hard-pressed to oh, name no. the other six, uh, the other four. So shows you how far down the list. I was actually shocked that I made it to seven. I would say that I would never call Rex Ryan a journalist. He's an analyst. He's paid for his opinion. Brandel Chambly is an analyst. He's paid for his opinion. I would point to a list of journalists, golf journalists, who have covered the story fairly and appropriately. And I can go down the list. Doug Ferguson and uh, Bob Herrig, and you, and James I would Corrigan. Say James Corrigan. Like it, the, the golf media, by and large, has done a very, very good job of this, and that's the only thing that bugged me. And I wanted to get your thoughts, because we didn't talk about this, so I'm throwing this at you. Uh, I didn't see that tweet. I think I actually have uh, Hank Haney muted. Anytime I see corrupt golf media, uh, it's typically from some of the live bots, live supporters who may But it wasn't be. this time. That's what, that's well, what triggered me. Well, there's some accusations from folks around Hey Caney that says he's he's vying for some sort of uh, relationship with Maybe. Live Golf. But he's so far on the other side, uh, and I don't really get into that, uh, nor do I particularly care. Anytime I see the, the phrase corrupt golf media, it immediately triggers like a Trumpian defense, where if you don't like what the viewpoint is, it's 
your immediate reaction is to savage the opposition. It doesn't matter what their point is. You do it as unintelligently as possible, and it's just it's just dismissing that point of view. And quite frankly, uh, I don't have uh, much time or interest uh, in getting into that. Uh, okay, that was a pretty short answer. So the follow up would be, and I don't know if you if you uh, if you even realize this. And, and again, I don't want to tiptoe too too deeply into this because I don't have any interest in what's going on between Brandel Chambly and Phil Mickelson right now. But as, as someone you and I both who spend a little bit of time on live from, did you realize that we had it within our power just to invite whoever we wanted on live from next time? Like, hey, you, you and me on live from next time. Let's go. Apparently, that's a thing we can do. Apparently, that's a thing uh, we can do. And in the case of uh, Phil Mickelson, that will not be happening. Uh, he, has, uh, no. he has rejected any and all Golf Channel interviews. Uh, so if we, if we ever want to talk to Phil Mickelson again, apparently we need to hide the Back logo. Back the crowd? On our shirts, yeah. Just, just stand just behind up, larger just, reporters? Just, just uh, tailpipe on some other reporters, <laughs> and hopefully that will go. Uh, Rex, before I let you go, how many milkshakes have you had, uh, and how many do you plan to have? Uh, haven't had any. We'll probably have one this afternoon. It's called the Buckeye. You've been up here. You know. You know yes. what it is. You know what time yeah. it is. So uh, that, the best way to describe that would be, I don't know. It's a. It, there's peanut butter involved. I think there's vanilla ice cream. It's. It's very good. It doesn't sound very good. Very rich. It no, it's. It is. It is delicious. It's. It's very rich, and you can only kind of have. I mean, I'll have one today, and I'll probably have one more before the week's out. But I got to draw a line somewhere. So maybe two, maybe three tops. Uh, that's how you keep that boyish physique. Uh, that you have maintained well, well into your 50s. Uh, good for you. Oof. You and I will both be at Golf's Ouch. Longest Day on Monday. You at the Columbus Yay. area site, me uh, in South Florida. I believe Daniel Berger uh, is signed up, has not played in about a year. So I'm very curious uh, to see what his form looks like and whether he can play his way into the U.S. Open field. Uh, make sure you guys check out golfchannel.com for all of Rex's reports from the Memorial. I'll be doing. Uh, Golf Central, uh, College Central, and Golf Today hits uh, through Wednesday here at the NCAA Championship. I'll return my focus to that after this uh, brief intermission with this Golf Channel podcast with Rex and Lab. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week for a full recap of Golf's Longest Day, the Memorial, and everything else going around in the world of golf. Send help. I'm trapped.